Beth Moore critiques the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. I've got a response to that. Childhood obesity, apparently, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, demands surgery and pills. Huh. The Democrats gaslight about gas stoves and the owner of Miss Universe is a man. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, happy Monday and welcome to Relatable. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. So y'all thought for a minute there that I was done with Good Ranchers because last week I didn't have the what we call a micro mention at the beginning of the podcast for Good Ranchers and I didn't read any Good Ranchers ads and I got some concerned messages from y'all saying, are you done with Good Ranchers? Did you have some kind of falling out? Is there some kind of drama behind this? And it didn't really help that I was so awkward at the top of the show without the micro mention. The micro mention for me saying, um, you know, the bit about Good Ranchers at the top of the show, it was kind of like a cushion in between what we call the cold open and then the rest of the show. And then without that, I didn't know what to say. And so it might have seemed like there was some like weird thing going on there. There was nothing weird at all. There was nothing weird. There's been no falling out. Absolutely love Good Ranchers so much. Cook with them still almost every single night. Um, They just, their um, advertising didn't start until this week. And so we're back. You will not stop hearing about how amazing Good Ranchers meat is there. So I just wanted to clear that up. There is no bad blood and... uh, there's there's uh, no tension there, no no drama to speak of. All right, there's a lot of dramatic things going on in the world. Before we get into it, just want to remind you, a little Monday reminder that sometimes I'd like to give you guys is that the only thing that you have to do today, as Elizabeth Elliot used to say, is the will of God. The only thing that you have to do today, Christian, is the will of God. That is it. And so your anxieties can kind of clear recognizing that that's the only real responsibility that you have before you today. And while that may seem overwhelming, the thing that I like to add to that is that if you don't know what the will of God is for this day, you simply do the next right thing with joy, excellence, and for the glory of God. So that's cleaning dishes, that's answering an email, that's changing diapers, maybe that's going on a walk, whatever is the next right thing, that is what you do. Enjoy with excellence and for the glory of God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of his word, we do that. And yesterday I was reading Psalm 97, and I also think it kind of enlightens us as to what our mentality should be and what our responsibility is day to day as Christians. And it's to do this and trust in this. And this is Psalm 97, 10 through 12. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. That's a command. So, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. I do think that there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who just don't hate evil enough. They actually hate more people who call out evil or are constantly obsessed with critiquing people who are calling out evil far more than they are obsessed with hating evil themselves. But Psalm 97:10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He, the Lord, preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. 
one day forevermore there will be deliverance from wickedness there will be no more sin no more sorrow no more injustice no more politics no more division partisanship but there will only be perfect peace and that is our hope and that is what we look forward to and that is actually what powers us to live with joy and with peace and with calm today and may that all be true of our hearts and minds and lives All right, let's get into the craziness of this world because that's what we do. We got to bring some clarity to the chaos. Let's first talk about this crazy story that I saw on Twitter last week that a lot of people were talking about. So this was a while ago. We just didn't have time to get to it last week. We had so many things to talk about. Go back and listen to last week's episodes if you haven't already. But I just could not let another episode go without discussing this. And that is this headline from NBC News that I saw circulating on Twitter. New guidelines for treating Childhood obesity include medications and surgery for first time. This is the American Academy of Pediatrics, who we already know has been very misguided when it comes to COVID policy, for example, pushing mandatory masking for kids in schools, even though there is no data whatsoever proving that mandatory masking actually lowers mortality for COVID or stops the spread of COVID in these schools. We talked about that many times as this, as these studies were coming out, claiming by the CDC and the AAP that masks were saving lives of kids and that we should be mandating these masks. We dissected those studies. We looked at the journalism of people like David Zwig, who showed, who proved, who demonstrated that these studies did not prove that masking in schools was helping. We'll, we will link some of those past episodes if you have not listened to them. So we know they've been misguided. They support the gender craziness for kids. And so just like almost every other institution in the United States, which is supposed to be neutral and driven by actual science, it's been captured by ideology and captured by money. And I think really that's what's going on here with the whole obesity thing. So this is what NBC News says. The guidance comes as childhood obesity rates have continued to rise over the past decade and a half, increasing from 17% to 20%, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Since the 1980s, obesity rates have tripled in children and quadrupled in adolescents. The new guidelines from the AAP emphasize that obesity is a complex and chronic condition without a simple fix. Intensive behavioral and lifestyle changes should be the first line approach, agree, but the AAP also includes recommendations for anti-obesity medications and surgery for the first First time. These novel recommendations are in response to a windfall of research and drug approvals in the past few years. I mean, this just doesn't surprise me at all that another so-called scientific institution is pushing drugs that are going to make these pharmaceutical companies and a lot of these institutions a lot of money. We see this constantly, things that don't actually need to be treated with drugs or things that aren't actually adequately treated with drugs. We are told by these institutions and entities that they must be treated with drugs. And in a lot of cases, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, money is the driver behind that. I mean, we understand what causes in a lot of cases, I'm not saying in all cases, but in a lot of cases, probably I would say upwards of 90 plus percent of these cases of childhood obesity, it's due to a sedentary lifestyle and it's due to bad food choices, maybe not by the kid, but by the parent and also because of what is in our food. So even if a parent thinks that they are making good choices for their kids, uh, 
unfortunately, we can't get away from things like seed oils and the different kinds of ingredients in our food um, that are actually not good for us, that are actually killing us in a lot of ways that are messing up our endocrine system and our metabolism. And that's what's happening to a lot of kids. And then you add COVID on top of that. And we know from the data that obesity was exacerbated in kids during the time of COVID because we were told that the healthiest thing that you could do was sit inside by yourself. And we saw in different parts of the country and especially places like Canada that uh, recreation centers or recreation places and communities and neighborhoods that have, for example, basketball goals were actually barred. They were chained. Basketball goals were taken down in some cases. You saw the like soccer goals in some of these parks completely chained up so that you couldn't play soccer and we are now surprised that they're saying oh this is such a big problem that we need to be pushing more drugs and surgery for these little kids again uh, are we even thinking about the long-term consequences of this i mean i'm glad they're saying the first line approach should be lifestyle changes but it seems like that is eventually going to go by the wayside we're going to hear eventually that exercise and eating healthy is just kind of a conspiracy theory it's just part of fat phobia and that really there's nothing that people can possibly do to try to lose weight and get healthier that has nothing to do with choices that these kids or parents are making and everything to do with just some I don't know, genetic thing, something inside them that can only be fixed with a gastric bypass when they're 11 years old. It's really sad. For children ages 12 and up, one of the major changes in the recommendations is the inclusion of anti-obesity drugs and weight loss surgery alongside lifestyle changes. The guidelines say that pediatricians should offer weight loss drugs for children age 12 and up with obesity. The guidelines also recommend that teens age 13 and up with severe obesity consider discussing weight loss surgery, which evidence has shown can be a safe and effective, we've heard that phrase, safe and effective treatment with lasting results. Yeah, I am sure a gastric bypass surgery on someone of any age could probably be effective in that it requires them to eat less food but is that the best thing that they should that they can do I mean is that even safe in a growing body that is not even close to done developing yet I mean I'm just speaking as a mom here I understand that I'm not a scientist I'm not a doctor but I've learned over the past couple of years that really average people with common sense sometimes come to smarter conclusions than the people with all of the credentials behind their name. Um, So the guidelines emphasize this kind of approach to obesity treatment, um, but emphasize also that you should not just consider physical habits, such a diet activity, but also social inequities that he or she faces, mental health, environment. I think what's going to be interesting in this, and this is something that you see across the board with these kinds of suggestions, the people that are going to be targeted most by this, especially those who are told by doctors you're fat because of social inequities or whatever, it's going to be poor people. Like It's going to probably be middle income and poor people who are convinced by their doctors, yeah, you just need this surgery or you just need this medication in order to lose weight. Uh, It's kind of like what we saw with the school closures, that parents who had the resources and access 
to uh, different kind of modes of education. They sent their kids to pods or they homeschooled because they were able to do that. But then you've got the kind of middle income and lower income kids who really had no other option. You just have to listen to the experts. You have to just kind of be dictated by the whims of the teachers unions. I think that's going to be kind of what happens here. You don't have the resources to do your own research or to even question the so-called experts at all. And you're told that, you know, you're fat, not because of any choices that you're making, but because of some kind of social injustice in your life or because of racism or whatever. And so you're going to be kind of, they're going to be kind of the guinea pigs when it comes to this. They're going to be kind of the experiment because people with resources and people with money and with access to personal trainers and to chefs and things like that, they're not going to be sending their 11-year-old to get a gastric bypass. Um, This is also just the danger of credentialism, listening to people just because they have letters behind their name without employing any wisdom at all. Um, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis of Florida, he has uh, been a long warrior against the corruption that is our medical industrial complex. He has pushed back against Fauci and the mandatory vaccines and all of that in a way that most governors simply haven't. And he responded. He responded to this. DeSantis eviscerates new health guidelines for childhood obesity, recommending drugs and surgery. And so here's what he had to say about that. Now, I think you have so much where they say, "Okay, what can we make money off of first? And then they start to go. So now you have this thing where they're saying, well, you know, these kids that are overweight should be given pump full of drugs and given surgeries for being overweight. And that is just to me, like, I think that that's them just trying to monetize this issue. Uh, You know, fact of the matter is kids years ago were more active than they are now. They had better diets than they have now. So why don't we focus on those things rather than trying to pump them with pharmaceuticals. Okay, I mean, he's obviously correct, and I'm glad that he is speaking up about this. You can tell that he has a personal perspective on these things as a dad that a lot of us can relate to. And the fact is, this is a problem. As he mentions there, the Washington Post reported on this in 2021, that this became an even bigger problem during COVID for the average five-year-old, about 40 pounds. That's a 12.5% weight gain for the average 11-year-old, about 82 pounds. That's a 6% weight gain. According to the study before the pandemic, about 36% of five to 11-year-olds were considered overweight or obese, and that increased to 45.7%. Um, so this study, which was Kaiser Permanente in Southern California, um, they noted that there is regular summer weight gain among kids. But of course, when you extend that to a year, a year and a half, two years, kids are going to gain a lot more weight and it's going to be hard for them to get it off. Again, This is the consequence of the stupid decisions that were made in the name of health when it came to COVID. Anyone with common sense, you didn't have to go to medical school, could see how shutting kids out of these kinds of activities was going to be devastating for their physical and mental health, especially when you're talking about being up against a sickness that 99.99% of kids would survive. Most of them wouldn't go to the hospital. Most of them wouldn't have any kind of serious bout of COVID at all. Some did. The vast majority didn't. A lot of them, I would say it's very comparable to kids who come down with a really bad flu and have to go to the hospital when it comes to COVID. We absolutely shut down their lives for the sake of a virus that was 
of almost no threat to them whatsoever and the consequences on their learning, on their social and emotional maturation, on their physical health could very well be lifelong. And who is going to be held accountable for that, that, by the way? Like, who is going to be punished for that? Like, who is going to be paying for those decisions that were made at the expense of the group of people in this country who do not have a voice? Children. What do we always say? Children are always laid on the altar of progressivism. Uh, progressivism. Children are always the subjects of progressive social experiments, whether it comes to COVID policy, whether it comes to the gender madness, whether it comes to abortion, whether it comes to the redefinition of the family, they're always the ones placed on the altar of progressive policy first. And that's what we see here. And then What do they do? They create this big problem or they exacerbate this problem. And then they come in and they say this solution, so-called, which happens to make us a lot of money, is going to solve this problem that we made worse. It seems to always happen like that. Isn't that really interesting? All right, let's move on to the next story. Before we do, let's just remember, let's try to feed our kids as healthy as we can. Now, I am someone who is like a mom of toddlers, and so I understand that's really difficult. Sometimes they only want chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. But let's send them outside as much as we can, and let's give them the proper balance and the exercise that they need, and we don't have to worry about these doctors pushing surgery and drugs on our preteens. So let's just all commit in the year 2023 to try to avoid this madness by just making common sense and better decisions for ourselves and for our family. All right, let's move on to another chaotic, crazy story. Funny story also in a dark way in just a second. But let me tell you about our first sponsor of the day, and that is Cozy Earth. So now is the time of year where you are spending a lot of time inside because it is cold. It is frigid where a lot of you are. And so you need good loungewear. You need comfortable clothing. And you need to make sure that the bed that you are snuggled up in is super comfortable. And that is why you need to check out Cozy Earth. I love Cozy Earth. I have a loungewear set from Cozy Earth. I've got some pajamas from Cozy Earth and I've got my sheets from Cozy Earth. I love Cozy Earth because it is so soft. All of their stuff uses premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo. It is like the softest thing you will ever feel in your life. You will always be able to tell when you have your Cozy Earth sheets on. They come in five awesome colors. We've got the white, really nice, really pretty. They're super soft, lightweight temperature regulating and so you'll love them throughout the year save 35 percent on all these cozy earth items go to cozyearth.com slash alley be sure to enter my special promo code alley to save 35 percent now all backed by 100 night sleep guarantee that's cozyearth.com slash alley for 35 percent off cozyearth.com slash alley code alley okay so let's talk about miss universe miss universe m-i-s-s universe so you might be thinking just because of the first word in that phrase that this is a competition for women correct you would be wrong however just like a lot of spaces and a lot of places a lot of teams today are no longer exclusive to women men still have their exclusive spaces 
and have their exclusive teams. But women, for some reason, are the ones who have to make the compromises and the sacrifices of our safety and privacy because there are men who wear lipstick and skirts who say that they now have the right to enter our teams and places and spaces, even intimate and vulnerable spaces like women's prisons and domestic abuse shelters and bathrooms and locker rooms. Isn't that interesting? And now men have decided that they are going to take over Miss Universe, but the owner seems to be a little bit confused, as you're about to see in a second, because he says that the organization is run by women. Let's see what he's got to say. Miss Universe organization. From now on, it's going to be ran by women, owned by a trans woman. For all women. For all women really around the world to celebrate the power of feminism. All right. So this would have been a really funny comedy bet. This would have been a really funny sketch in a parallel universe in which we still had our sanity. You know, I've been thinking about how like a classic comedy bit is men dressing up as women, right? And it has been for a very long time, probably for thousands and thousands of years in theater, men dressing up as women, even, you know, something like white chicks. It's funny because they are black men dressing up as women. And it's ridiculous, not only because they don't actually look white, but because they don't look like women. Men dressed up as women, it's funny because it's ridiculous. Women dressed up as men isn't quite as funny because it doesn't look quite as ridiculous. But men dressed up as women has always been a comedy sketch. It's always been funny. And so not only are we being told to deny reality, we are also being told to deny humor. Like we're not supposed to snicker at the fact that this person has a deep voice and has movements that look exactly like a male and is saying that Miss Universe is now going to be run by women, even as he is a man. Like, we're not supposed to laugh at that. Apparently, it's cruel and it's mean to laugh at that. So not only are you begging me, are you demanding that I, I deny reality? You are also telling me that I must deny humor, which has been humorous for literally thousands of years. Men dressed up as women are is it's ridiculous and it's absurd and it's funny and it's ironic and it's supposed to be part of satire. But this, we are told, is absolutely dead serious. And that's why culture is dying. That's why humor is dying. Because everything that is funny, we are told that we must take literally and sincerely and earnestly and empathetically. And we're not allowed to make fun of it or we're called bigots or whatever until you kind of graduate to the phase that I have graduated to and that a lot of you have too, where you just don't care what they call you anymore. Um, so this person is announcing proudly proudly that Miss Universe is run by women, but of course he is not. He is not actually um, a woman. Um, let's look at some of these also these weird costumes out of uh, Miss Universe. I'm not someone who follows pageants. I've got some friends who have followed pageants who have been in pageants for a long time. It's very like impressive all the work that has to go into all of this. So I don't want to like I don't want to denigrate I don't want to denigrate, you know, the work that some of these women put into this. But I mean, some of this stuff is just absolutely absurd what they're wearing. I'm very confused about it. So so let's look at some of these costumes. 
of these people who are um, who are walking walking out representing their country. So here's here's the first one. Um, and who is this? This is Miss Netherlands. Miss Netherlands. And do there are their costumes supposed to be representative of their country in some way? Yeah. So some of them are just like emblematic of their country. Some of them are like have to do with something something special about their country. And some are okay. more outrageous than others. Is this supposed to be a stroopwafel? <laughs> yeah. She's so she's a stroopwafel. Oh, and notice she, she has is. tea and another stroopwafel on her hat. Oh, I can't, I did not see that. And what is on her um, uh, leotard up up top? What is the blue? I don't know. I, I think just decoration, maybe. Just decoration. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to zoom in there. Not really no. sure. Okay, interesting. Are they supposed to kind of be absurd costumes, like funny? No, I think they're supposed to just wow you. Oh, okay. <laughs> interesting. All right. Next one. No. What's that? Is that Egypt? This is Miss Trinidad and Tobago. Okay, so I don't see this person's face at all. She's she's about halfway down. I can't. Oh, <laughs> I the, see it. I see the it belly like button in the st- Okay, so this is like a very tall like golden statue thing. I guess I don't know enough about Trinidad. Uh Trinidad to know how this is representative of that country. Yeah, I couldn't tell you, but it looks like a bunch of Party City streamers. Interesting. <laughs> um, I don't really know what's going on with the face of the golden apparatus. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she's really pretty. Oh, my gosh. You can't see her at all. I feel like it is supposed to be like, okay, there we go. Zoomed in. Oh, my gosh. Kind of very scary. scary. Very, very scary. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Moving on. Um, and this is Miss Seychelles. Miss Seychelles, I hate to admit I have no idea what that is or where that <laughs> it's is. It's an island. Okay. And I guess this is maybe their bird. Okay. I mean, I kind of appreciate this a little bit more. It's not as ridiculous. Can we zoom into her head? Okay. So she is supposed to be some kind of bird, right? Yeah. Um. Okay, interesting. Is that her hair or is that a wig? Is that part of the eagle head? I think I think that's part of the eagle head. <laughs> okay, I am impressed that they can uh, walk in these heels and these costumes. Okay, the next one. Okay, this next one. Mm-hmm. You could only capture the brilliance through video. Okay, I'm ready. Oh, what? USA! <laughs> oh my god. When Americans stepped on the moon in 1969, it was one small step for man. Really? <laughs> that's that's our latest accomplishment? Our latest accomplishment is that we landed on the moon in 1969? The If y'all aren't watching this, she's got like... Well, she's got like stars and everything. First of all, she can't walk. And so that should have just been the costume designer should have been like, okay, that's not going to be good. And she's got like a huge moon behind her. I think it could have been fine maybe without the moon. I mean, it just looks ugly. Why is everything today so ugly? Wow. I just can't believe that they chose of all of our accomplishments as a country that we walked on the moon in 1969. And maybe the jury is still out on that. (laughs) 
as we have discussed on this podcast. I mean, of all of all things, it's really ugly, USA. Really, really ugly. I'm so sorry to say. All right, um, we've got a couple more videos. Let's look at let's look at Miss Bahamas, and then we'll end with Miss Ukraine. The Bahamas. In 1973, the islands of Bahamas gained independence. Okay. Just fun fact about Bahamas. Good to know. Um, Honestly, better than America's. Let's look at Miss Ukraine. LOL. <laughs> LOL. Like that music was added, by the way. That was not in the pageant. Oh, okay. So I guess she's supposed to look like some like fierce angel warrior, some guard, a guardian of democracy or something like that. Guardian of freedom. Yep. And there are also overlays now of Zelensky's face <laughs> over top of hers that are pretty funny on Twitter. Oh, so. that is funny. Look out mm. for those. The kleptocracy of Ukraine, all of a sudden, the guardian of democracy. Is it fun? Isn't that funny how it works? Once again... It's just interesting how things come to prominence and just happen to make a very elite group of people a lot of money in our country. Um, All right. So that's Miss Universe. That's the state of pageantry these days. I guess it's no longer about beauty and it's more just about being able to shock you. And isn't that true of a lot of things? in our modern age today. All right. I did not want to miss this story about gas stoves because it's absolutely ridiculous and everyone was talking about it last week. So I'll tell you about it in a second. Let me pause and tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is my Patriot Supply. So as we know, the future is unsure. Things are unstable. We don't know what the supply chain is going to do. We don't know if or when things are really going to hit the fan and you are not going to be able to afford any of the food in the grocery store. I mean, eggs, already ridiculous. You just want to make sure that your family is prepared. It's always better to be safe than sorry. So you might as well have emergency food kits that you stow away in your pantry. They're good for 30 years. Hopefully you'll never have to use it. But if you do, you will be taken care of and your whole family will have nutritious food to eat every meal. I would get an emergency food kit for everyone in your family. It lasts for three months. Again, this is really good nutritious food. Plus, if you go to preparewithally.com, you'll not only save $200, but you'll get free shipping on your entire order. It'll arrive quickly. Unmarked boxes for privacy. Go to preparewithally.com for that discount. That's preparewithally.com. Okay, let's talk about gas stoves. So there is a war on gas stoves. Um, the Biden administration is actually considering, according to National Review, banning gas stoves over health concerns. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission is set to open public comment on the dangers of gas stoves sometime this winter. The commission could set standards on emissions from the gas stoves or even look to ban the manufacture or import of the appliances. Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr. told Bloomberg News. The stoves, which are used in about 40 percent of homes in the U.S., I honestly would have thought it was more than that. I know that they're used in all or at least most restaurants too, emit pollutants, including nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and fine particulate matter at levels deemed unsafe by the EPA and the World Health Organization. Senator Cory Booker and Representative Don Beyer 
wrote a letter to the agency last month urging the commission to address the issue and calling the harmful emissions a cumulative burden on black, Latino, and low-income houses. It's always got to be something like that. It's always got to be something like that. Again, addressing non-problems. Addressing non-problems. You know who is going to be hit the hardest by any kind of gas ban if they try to remove our ability to access gas? It's going to be these poorer communities. I mean, we're talking about billions and billions of people dying if they're not able to heat their homes and to heat their food uh, the way that we have been doing for hundreds of years at this point. However, the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers argues that cooking produces harmful emissions regardless of the kind of stove used. Ventilation is really where this discussion should be rather than banning one particular type of technology. A vice president um, at the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers said, according to National Review, the American Gas Association similarly argued against the ban. Well, you know, of course that of course they would. I'm not saying this is an objective source, but they said the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission and EPA do not present gas ranges as a significant contributor to adverse air quality or health hazard in their technical or public information literature guidance or requirements. So even though that they might not be an objective source, that is something that is objectively true. So then a couple days later, National Review reported that Consumer Safety Commission walked back gas stove threat amid backlash. Well, isn't that funny also how that happens so there's backlash to something and then they they walk it back okay well if it's really this crazy pollutant that is causing childhood asthma and is having a disproportionate effect on black and latino communities then why does it matter what backlash is had um is experienced over the past several days there's been a lot of attention paid to gas stove emissions into the consumer product safety commission to be clear i am not looking to ban gas stoves and the cpsc has no proceeding to do so this is the chairman of the consumer product safety commission well that's good the paper went on to parallel the childhood asthma burden produced by gas stoves being equivalent to secondhand smoke exposure the asthma study that has triggered the latest uproar was funded by rmi an environmental group with the radical goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent within the next seven years its lead author is part of the group's carbon-free buildings initiative All right. So the study that people are pointing to saying this causes childhood cancer is actually funded by a radical environmental group who is anti-gas. And it just turns out not to really stack up with the rest of the data. Like if you look at the states with um, the highest uh, gas stove usage and the highest asthma, they're not the same states. I saw that posted by Emily Oster, who is a Brown University professor. Uh, The news coincided with New York Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State address Tuesday, which called for completely eliminating gas heating and appliances in new construction projects by 2030. That is something that New York started last year. It's also important to note that any of the articles or any of the studies that are used to support the banning of gas stoves are funded by the Rocky Mountain Institute, which is a nonprofit think tank that is vehemently against any carbon usage for energy and fanatically supportive of so-called green energy. So the money behind people demonizing gas stoves um, is coming from these radical left-wing environmentalist groups who believe that we are going to be able to get all of our energy from solar and wind, which is just not 
feasible, who want to get rid of fossil fuels. Again, you are talking about the deaths of millions and millions of people if that kind of goal is ever actually reached, which is not really something that they care about because these are the same people that are constantly talking about their Malthusian dread of overpopulation. Um, so people are kind of, they're going back and forth about this and they're just talking about the ridiculousness of, again, trying to create some kind of, um, totalitarian solution to something that is not really a big problem. I mean, how are you going to, how would you even get 40% of people to stop using their gas stoves. Um, so Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who also uses a gas stove, by the way, um, there have been pictures floating around. I don't know if we have one of those pictures of AOC using her gas stove. If so, we can pull it up. There are several Democrats who use gas stoves. We've got AOC. She posted something on Instagram a while ago. She's using a gas stove. Elizabeth Warren right there with her little latticed pie using gas stoves. You've got uh, Kamala Harris. Who is she? Totally forgot she's our vice president using her gas stove. And then we've got uh, the good Dr. Jill Biden using her gas stove, gas stoves for thee or for me, but not for thee. But AOC is now saying that no gas stoves are actually harmful. Here's a little clip of her trying to justify potentially banning gas stoves. I do think it's funny that like absolute utter Republican meltdown where they're like, you can take my gas stove or my cold dead hands or how dare you talk about gas stoves? You have a gas stove. First of all, first of all, I rent, period. Second of all, though, it doesn't even matter because by that logic, these are the same people who would have said we should have never gotten rid of leaded gasoline. Just because someone may have driven a gasoline car, science evolves and gives us new knowledge with time. Okay. Um. That's an interesting attempt at a justification. She did tweet that, did you know the ongoing exposure to NO2 from gas stoves is linked to reduced cognitive performance? Well, AOC uses gas stoves. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there is actually something to that. It's so funny how, and I saw this on MSNBC too, how... The left says that they're going to ban something. They're going to do something. They all of a sudden make something that was previously completely nonpartisan, very political and divisive. And then when conservatives react to their divisiveness, we are called divisive. Like we are making a big deal of something. No one was politicizing gas stoves before Democrats started talking about it. Like no one was saying don't ban my gas stove or don't take my gas stove until Democrats started talking about it. I mean, this is, again, already happening in New York in new construction. We've got Democrats in the Senate trying to propose some kind of ban on gas stoves. And so they are the ones politicizing it. They're the ones making a big deal of something that previously was not a big deal. And yet when we react to it, they're saying, why are you making such a big deal of this? It's gaslighting. I feel like there's probably a pun in there gaslighting gas stoves it's all part of the democrat playbook it's simply it's simply what they do well you're not going to be able to take my gas stove i cooked with my gas stove at one point this weekend with three burners on at the same time i was waiting for the dreaded knock at the door by the fbi it never came thankfully i even posted about it on social media thinking surely this is going to do me in and they're just going to arrest me it hasn't happened yet 
But the things we joke about today are the things that become reality tomorrow. So I better be careful with my words. All right. The last thing that I want to talk about um, is this story that I only saw this morning about Beth Moore talking about a Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. But first, I want to tell you about our last sponsor for the day. And it's a very fitting one. If you know anything about Jonathan Edwards' uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it is talking about your imminent death and the fate um, that you will at which you will arrive if you do not know Christ. And this last sponsor is about death, which is not a very fun thing to talk about. But the fact of the matter is, it's going to happen to everyone. And you need to make sure, especially if you have kids, that you and your loved ones are prepared for that. Hopefully that happens in a really long time. Hopefully you've got 60 more years on this earth plus, and you don't have to worry about this for a while, but you do need to make sure that you are prepared. And Epic Will is a company that is here to help you do that. So when you're building your life, your most precious asset isn't in your bank account. It's in the car seat behind you. If you are a parent, it's your kids. And a will protects them if something should happen to you. So this is how Epic Will works. In as little as five minutes and $119, you can have a complete will package from Epic Will. Epic Will makes it so easy. They provide the template. You just fill in the blanks. You'll be set with a last will and testament, a living will, even a healthcare power of, eter- of attorney. Um, the founder of Epic Will, his name is Josh. He was raised by a single mother. His heart is for single moms. He really wants to make sure that single moms have these wills set up. So they have a cool thing um, that they have. If you are a single mom listening to this show with kids under 18 at home, you can get a will for free. So single mom, you've got kids under 18, you can get your will totally for free. And you really do need to do this. And so Instead of paying all those attorney's fees and spending hours and hours doing it, just go to epicwill.com slash Allie. You can get this figured out. Epicwill.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E. You'll save 10% on your complete will package. 50% of Americans don't have a will. Be intentional about your family, your values, and your wishes. Epicwill.com slash Allie for that 10% off. Epicwill.com slash Allie. So really the most important thing to think about, though, um, when it comes to death is where you will go after you die and what eternity looks like. Eternity is a very long time. And Jonathan Edwards delivered a sermon and it was in 1741, a sermon preached at Enfield, July 8th, 1741. And it has become a famous or perhaps to some people an infamous sermon about our mortality and about our fate as sinners uh, without the saving work of Christ. And it is, to say the least, extremely harsh. This is what you would call fire and brimstone. And this is probably where you even get the phrase fire and brimstone because he was a fire and brimstone preacher. And uh, he said, uh, a lot of things that are true in this sermon and a lot of things that are probably um, some Christians would not necessarily um, would not necessarily align with when it comes to how he phrases things. Nevertheless, I do think this kind of harshness is necessary when it comes to showing people just how dire our situation is and just how real the reality of hell is. And so... That's why this sermon has lasted through the ages and Beth Moore responded to it 
tweeting that she doesn't agree with it, that she doesn't agree with the pictures that he paints. He doesn't, she doesn't agree with the words that Jonathan Edwards chooses. So she tweeted this, for the life of me, I don't get the appeal of Jonathan Edwards to many. After my Bible reading this morning, I read a bit out of an old book I'd pulled off my shelf, a compilation of many of the great sermons of the past. I flipped open to a page where I'd handwritten the words, but I have Jesus. I'd underline the word Jesus. She goes, on and she quotes Jonathan Edwards, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is, um, is in ours. I think she meant to say, she said, I get that Edwards is talking to those who do not look to Christ for salvation. But I'm just saying, I was so broken and self-loathing and ensnared in my sins. Such preaching would have made me feel like dying, like running away, not running toward God. I would have wondered how he could go straight to loving someone like a son after he abhorred them like a spider. This thought process breaks down, of course, because I'm certainly not God. And to be candid, I tend to like spiders. Okay. Um, So she just talks about how basically this is counterproductive. This is not the kind of message that we should be preaching to people and that it's far too harsh. So before I respond to um before i respond to what she has to say here i do just want to read you some of the sermon so you know what she's talking about he says this your wickedness makes you as it were heavy as lead and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell and if god should let you go you would immediately sink and swiftly descend into and plunge into a bottomless gulf and your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock were it not for the sovereign pleasure of god the earth would not bear you one moment for you are a burden to it the creation groans with you the creature is made subject to the bondage of your corruption not willingly the sun does not willingly shine upon you to give you light to serve sin and satan the earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lust nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to be acted upon the air does not willingly serve you for breath to maintain the flame of life in your vitals while you spend your life in the service of god's enemies God's creatures are good and were made for men to serve God with and do not willingly subserve to any other purpose and groan when they are abused to purposes so directly contrary to their nature and end. And the world would spew you out were it not for the sovereign hand of him who has subjected it in hope. There are the black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your heads, full of dreadful storm and big with thunder. And were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. All of that is true. Creation is groaning for the redemption of God. And I like what he says about how creation is groaning because of man's sin. Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now awaiting God's redemption and restoration. Jonathan Edwards says, you have offended him infinitely, God, infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to the hell to hell the last night, that you were suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose this morning, but that God's hand has held 
you up. And so he is talking about God's grace and his mercy and his patience, allowing people who are rebels against him, who are dead in his sin, to keep on sinning, to keep on rebelling, to keep on living with the hope that they will one day um, be called to repentance, that by grace through faith, they will become alive in Christ. That is why his patience exists, not just for individuals, but for uh, for creatures as a whole, for humankind as a whole. Um, oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it. And then he goes on to talk about the hope of grace and the hope of redemption that can save people from this wrath. And now you have an extraordinary opportunity. Jonathan Edwards says a day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners. A day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east, west, north and south. Many that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you are in are now in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to him who has loved them and washed them of their sins in his own blood and rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. How awful is it to be left behind at such a day to see so many others feasting while you are pining and perishing. And then he ends this way. Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain lest you be consumed. So yes, is his language, is his rhetoric a little bit harsher than some pastors use today? Is it not what we are used to? Sure. But is it true? Is it true that God abhors sin and that he actually does abhor sinners? I know that this is a uh, subject of controversy and debate, but we understand that God hates sin so much that he cannot be in the presence of it and that he demands holiness so much that he actually hates those who are perpetuating sin. Psalm 5, 4 through 5, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers. But we also know that God offers redemption, that God offers restoration, that God offers healing, that he offers um, complete and total newness. For those who, by grace, through faith, become alive in Christ and are saved by him. Um, so we understand that fate, um, that the fate of those who are rebelling now is not necessarily hell, but the preaching of truth and the preaching of the danger of eternal wrath is actually necessary for us to show people the state of their heart and what could be their fate any second should death come upon them? And I think that's uncomfortable to us today because we think that the gospel is Jesus loves you. The gospel is not Jesus loves you. The gospel is that 
God hates sin so much, but because he is so good and so loving, he has made a way for sinners to be made holy and reconciled to him through Christ. That is the gospel. But there is no gospel without showing how much God abhors sin. And that the gospel changes someone from a state of being an enemy of God, which is what scripture says, to being a friend and son and daughter of God. So while Beth Moore may not understand why people like Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards played a huge role um, in the in the Great Awakening during the time of the Enlightenment in the 18th century. And I don't agree with a lot of the things that he said. He defended some forms of slavery. He defended, he was an advocate for uh, infant baptism, which is not something that I believe in. Um, He was, his theology and his writings played a huge role in thousands and thousands of people um, coming to Christ. And I think that today we are so soft with our language. We are so scared to offend people. We are so scared to talk about sin and hell. We are so scared to talk about the wrath of God that we almost don't even show people why the gospel is necessary. Like if all you tell someone is that God loves you and he's there for you, well, then why do they have to come to know Christ? Why do they have to become Christians? Like why do they have to change anything? Why do they have to repent? If the gospel is really that God loves you the way that you are, how is that good news, by the way? The world also loves you the way that you are. And that doesn't really offer anything different than what the secular world is offering you. It doesn't offer any kind of satisfaction or fulfillment or hope that you're really looking for. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Somehow, in a way that I think is mysterious to us, God hates sinners, but also loves the world so much that John 3.16, as John 3.16 says, that he gave Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. So he loves the world so much, even as he hates sinners, which means that he is providing a way for sinners for all of us, because all of us at one point were dead in our sin, uh, to be reconciled to him, to become friends with him. We were once enemies of God. And we have become his friends through Christ. That's really good news. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The Psalms are full of God's wrath towards the wicked, his hatred for the wicked, his promise to demolish the wicked. Um, And I think some of us like to think that we are not a part of that. And if we are without Christ, though, we are, we are subject to God's wrath. And so I think that Beth Moore understands why Jonathan Edwards is appealing to a lot of people. That doesn't mean that you have to like all of his choice of words, but I think it's important for people to know how imminent the threat of hell is and how God's wrath is real. I mean, all of this self-love gibberish that we are telling to people, how many souls is it actually saving? Or is it just making people more comfortable in their sin? What's our role as an evangelist, as a Christian? Is it to make people comfortable in their sin or is it to make people uncomfortable in their sin and show them a much better way that the love of God is so vast and so big and so strong that he has actually provided an undeserving people a way of redemption? I say that that's really good news. And if God accomplished preaching that gospel through Jonathan Edwards, um, then I say yes and amen to that. All right. That's all we've got time for today. We will see you back here tomorrow.